Welcome to Principles with Corey and Logan. Guys, I am super excited about our guest today. I, I think this is probably going to be a super impactful uh, one. I know uh, our guest, Mark Silverman's got a lot of great things to talk about today. He's going to add a lot of value to you, one from his story, but also the things he's doing with um, leaders from around the world. He is an executive coach. He's an author. He's a speaker. Got his own podcast. Podcast is on Mastering Overwhelm, How to Thrive in Business relationships, and life. And he works with CEOs around the world, turning their fast rising high achievers into effective leaders. But what's interesting uh, reading his bio here is uh, when he was 27, Mark was homeless, living in his truck by the time he was 33. That's a short period of time, Mark. He was a millionaire. So uh, really looking forward to getting into hearing your story. Welcome to Principles with Corey and Logan, Mark. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. I love going through your show lists because you just run the gamut of the things that you that you're bringing to your listeners. Really interesting and thorough. Yeah, awesome, man. Well, hey, I know right now you are working with with leaders, CEOs, C-suite people, but also uh, fast rising leaders. And uh, we're going to get into talking about what you're doing with them and how you can add value there. But I would love to hear a little bit about your story. That's where you are now. How did you get to where you are now, though? Take us back a little bit. <laughs> I get here. I, often it's dumb luck. Uh, you know, I look, I look around and saying, you know, I was, I was actually talking to some, some people about this uh, this weekend that it was improbable. Like me, me being here, you know, in, in a house actually, you know, gainfully employed, that kind of thing wasn't the trajectory of my life. And uh, I'm, you know, I kind of get on my knees every, every day and just, Thank, thank God for the blessing of, of coming through all that. So I love sharing my story because I know, you know, this has been a tough time, a tough couple of years, and a lot of people have been close to the breaking point. Uh, uh, and for me, when I share where I came from, how I climbed out of it, and how I sustain it, I feel like I can, can give a little something because I've been there, done that, bought the t-shirt. So yeah, so when I was 27 years old, uh, you know, life wasn't going really well. I was living in my little Toyota pickup truck, uh, and, uh, you know, had no money, uh, was about 135 pounds. Uh, I, and my brother owned a bunch of restaurants here in DC. Uh, and, uh, he, you know, he, he kept trying to wire me money. Like, I'm like, dude, I, I like I'm destitute, uh, you know, and, and by then, then there were no cell phones, there was no internet, no nothing. So you had to wire money to a Western union. Uh, what we didn't know was because I was driving around the country, you had to be at the exact Western Union that they wired it to to get the money. So like it just didn't I was never getting the money. So I drove across country uh, to you know stay with him for a little bit. Uh, when I got here, uh, he, you know, he basically said, you're going to go to 12 step programs. You're going to go to AA. You're going to go to NA. You're going to get cleaned up. Uh, you're going to enroll in college uh, and you're going to go to the gym with me. Right. Um, okay. I got nothing else to do. <laughs> uh, so I did those things. And it's really interesting what happens when you take alcohol out of an alcoholic, right? You take, you know, take all that out. And I actually wasn't drinking. I, I, I was driving around. I wanted, I didn't have any money. I had a Unicall 76 card, which is a gas station. And that was the only card that had any room on it. So I was eating at gas stations and filling up my, my, my truck. Um, so I couldn't really drink, but I knew if I drank, it was all over. So when I got to town and he told me to go to AA and NA, I was like, yeah, this is probably a really good idea. What happened was I enrolled in college uh, and, uh, and 
I, the weird thing was I flunked out of college the first time uh, and I was getting straight A's. I got, so I, and I, I got a job at, a, at the Four Seasons Hotel waiting tables. Uh, so I was, you know, so I was in a reputable place. I was, you know, starting to clean up. I went to the gym with him. I started running with his friends and that kind of thing. Uh, and lo and behold, you know, one class at a time, two classes at a time. Uh, you know, I got my college degree by the time I was in my forties. Uh, but that process of getting healthy, staying sober, doing those things, I wound up getting a job as a sales guy. Now, the interesting thing is I'm an introvert. I don't like to bother people. Right. So me being a sales guy is a really scary thing. In fact, one of the first interviews I went on was for a cop being coming a copy salesman, uh, you know, selling copiers. If anybody remembers what those are, uh, you went you went from office to office to office to sell those things. And when I came back from the ride along, the, the sales manager said, um, Mark, you're a really nice guy. You shouldn't go anywhere near sales. I'm like, well, he's just trust me, don't go anywhere near sales. So when I got my first sales job uh, and uh, I kind of figured out that my personality and my inquisitiveness and my introversion was actually a superpower in sales, you know, I doubled my income. I doubled my income again. I doubled my income again. You know, next thing I know, I'm making, you know, mid six figures regularly. And that's, 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 uh, you know, for me who never made more than $20,000 a year, was insane. I wound up getting married, moving into a million dollar house, right? And I'm driving a sports car and I'm wearing Hugo Boss suits and I have a solid gold watch. Uh, and my, you know, so it was really kind of whiplash for me. Uh, you know, on, on one hand, the homeless guy is still inside, yeah. right? We put, we wallpapered over him a little bit. Uh, we gave him some skills. Uh, he became really successful. I, you know, I went from start, somehow I became, went from, I got in with the crowd that went from fast growing startup to net, you know, to the next cool thing. So I was really fortunate to ride the waves of a lot of different, uh, tech startups. Uh, what happened though is, you know, my former, my former podcast was called mastering midlife. Uh, and what ha- what the premise of that is what drives you to success in your twenties and thirties often turns on you in your forties and fifties. Right. So that thing, you know, I'm going to show them or I'm never going to be in this position again. Right. You know, how, how many ultra rich people have you talked to uh, that their their success comes from some pathology or some hole in their soul that they had to fill? Right. They, they, they uber successful are usually driven by something. But I think that's all of us. So I was driven to never be that homeless guy again, to ne- not let anybody see that homeless guy. So back in about two, you know, so I, uh, I rolled into DC, the whole story started in 1989. In about 2008, 2009, my marriage started falling apart. Uh, and I started to have trouble sell- selling. I couldn't sell. And I was having panic attacks. Wow. Uh, you know, everything was going well in my life. My kids were great. You know, everything was good, but I'm having panic attacks and I'm getting sick all the time. And I don't know what's going on with me. Uh, and what I know now is, all that unresolved trauma that turned me into that homeless guy was starting to rear its head. And the, the drive to be successful, the drive to be perfect uh, in every area of my life. And my ex-wife used to say that she's just like, you're like, you're, you're just perfect as a son, a father, a husband, a this or that, like, and it's going to kill you. Uh, and it did, it started to turn on me and crack. So my marriage fell apart. I found myself again, stone cold, sober, never touched a drug or drink or anything. Right. Stone cold, sober, living in a, an apartment around the corner from my ex-wife and kids couldn't sell anything sick as a dog. 
uh, all the time, started losing weight, uh, panic attacks. Um, and uh, I was misdiagnosed from a doctor and you know, I thought I was going to die. I was pretty sure I was going to die. Uh, so I made the decision in 2009 that uh, if I'm going to die, I, I really need to do something radical. So I, I want to leave a million dollars for my kids. So I, uh, my career was in the toilet, couldn't sell anything. Uh, but I'm going to make a million dollars, leave that to their kids. I'm going to have $60,000 charity just to make myself feel better about myself for having destroyed everything. Uh, and I'm going to run the Marine Corps Marathon because I heard on the radio from some guy while I was waiting for the doctor that everybody can run. He was a uh, Stu Middleman. He was an ultra marathon guy. Uh, and I called him up on the phone and I said, can you be my coach? I need to run the Marine Corps Marathon. And he says, yeah, it'll take you about two years to train because I couldn't run a mile. Uh, and he, I said, no, I have to do it in October, which was eight months away yeah. uh, because I'm going to die. Uh, and he's like, well, okay. Um, so what happened was I really committed. And by the way, this is the genesis of my book, Only Tens. Like I had three objectives that year. I'm going to make a million dollars. I'm going to give $60,000 charity. I'm going to run the Marine Corps Marathon. And then when I die, I'm going to, my kids are going to see that I was badass to the end. Right. Uh, and what happened was I did. I got a, a, all of a sudden a new job just materialized, right. like a new startup, new dream job with a great engineer who I owe my life to, like, you know, because he was just brilliant. So he helped carry me along through that, that hard time to, to build my business back up. Uh, I, I trained for the marathon and by training for the marathon, I listened to every self-help book that ever known to man, every spiritual book, right? Everything on, on uh, just filling myself with as much goodness as I could to pull myself out of this deep depression because I just wanted to die. Yeah. I didn't want to go on, but I couldn't kill myself because I had kids. So I, um, I, I ran the Marine Corps Marathon an hour faster than my coach even thought I could do it. Uh, I don't recommend that because I have new Achilles tendon to show for it. <laughs> uh, so don't, don't train for a marathon in eight months, but I did it. I made the million dollars, gave the $6,000 charity. So my career was on track. I was healthy again. Uh, you know, everything was, was rolling and I had filled myself with all that stuff. That was the change, right? I had to go down to the depths yeah. and then build a new Mark J. Silverman. I even changed the spelling of my name legally. I used to be M-A-R-C, Mark. Uh, and I legally changed my name so that I could leave behind the person that I was and create this new person who I wanted to be. And that was the first step. So each year, as my, my family started to heal, as I started to heal, you know, I went from wanting to kill myself to being okay to living, to making a deal with God uh, that when my younger son, uh, Jake, uh, graduated high school, then I could die, right? And which was really funny because I ended up in the hospital that year <laughs> uh, with an appendicitis that had burst. And the doctors were like, you're lucky you didn't die. I'm like, oh, I forgot to take back that pact I made with God. <laughs> um, someone else pointed that out. Uh, but then, um, uh, you know, I, I started to move into self-love and self-forgiveness mm -hmm. and joy. And that's when the real shift happened. When I started to realize that I had created my own prison I was my own worst enemy. The world hadn't done anything to me. You know, I was living out of my traumas. I was making poor choices. I, I wasn't doing anything to build myself up. When I realized that I had it, that my, my personality, you know, that Mark, whoever this persona of Mark J. Silverman is, is fluid. 
and I could create him the way I wanted him to be. I just wanted to shout it to the rooftops. I was like an ex smoker. I'm like, you're like, I want to tell the whole world you're free. Oh my God, you're free. You can make choices. You can have conversations. You can do all these things. And uh, that's when I found coaching and uh, became a coach, quit my job, hung out my shingle, haven't looked back. And that was eight, nine, eight, eight or nine years ago. Uh, and I'm, I'm still here thriving with a waiting list. And uh, somehow all these experiences relate to almost everybody. Absolutely. Yeah. Real quick. That's the story. Uh, yeah, man, that is <laughs> awesome. Uh, there, there's some things I want to pull out on there. I, I was just kind of curious though, you, uh, on the coaching side of it, did you have clients before you made the, made the leap or did you say, you know what, I'm just going for it. Just curious. No, um, I'm real. I'm, I'm not really bright. Uh, so I, I was actually, I had gotten a job at a new startup, like again, the fastest growing company in Silicon Valley history again. And it's really cool. And I hate every minute of it. And I, I hired a coach, world famous coach, uh, to help me in my transition to coaching. And I said, when I, well, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to build my bank up to $2 million. Cause we, you know, my ex-wife and I split all our money and I was paying alimony, all that stuff. I wanted $2 million in the bank runway, and then I'll quit coaching. And I took care of my elderly parents. My ex-wife didn't work because I wanted her home until my, you know, until my kids were out and all that stuff. So I was taking care of everybody. By the way, I still had a Mercedes and then, you know, uh, Audi habit and a Hugo Boss habit. So I didn't change my lifestyle when I became a coach, you know, smart me. Uh, so when I, when I was whining about how much I hated my job and how miserable I was to my coach, uh, he, you know, he basically said, you know, why won't you hang your shingle out now? I said, because I take care of my elderly parents. I take like, I, all these people need my money. Yeah. And he's, and, uh, he said, you know, I can't coach you. Uh, he fired me. Wow. And I was furious. He's, I'm like, why wouldn't you understand that I have responsibilities? I can't, you know, I can't just follow my bliss. Right. Uh, that, that weekend I, um, uh, went to, I, I bought, I went to see Garth Brooks last show at the win in Las Vegas. I'm like I'm going to Las Vegas. I'm going to see Garth Brooks. <laughs> and, uh, I was just furious all weekend long. And I was like, and that, but that was the catalyst. Like I was like, F him, you know, uh, and, and all of them, I'm, I'm a great coach. Cause I've been going to coaching school and all this stuff. I'm going to become a coach. Uh, and I did, I wound up telling my job I'm quitting. I'm going to become a coach. Uh, and they were like, what the hell is that? Uh, <laughs> and and this is unheard of in the tech industry. Uh, but, you know, you create these things in your life. Uh, you, know, you know how you get two weeks be between two jobs because you quit and they walk you out the door. You know, in the tech industry, you quit. They walk you right out the door. Nobody has ever walked me out the door. They're like, we trust you. I'm like, I'm going to a competitor. Like, no, we trust you. You'll be fine. Uh, okay. I wanted that two weeks. But uh, so when I, when I told them I was quitting my job, they said, you know, would you stay on? Just take care of your accounts. Don't worry about things. Stay on for another, you know, three, four months till we get your replacement, you know, just kind of train your replacement and do your coaching while you're doing this. So they paid me while I shifted. Wow. My first six clients were the CIOs, CTOs, CEOs that I had sold to. Wow. Uh, and, and they were like, we don't know what coaching is, but you know, when you took us out, you never talked business. You always talked about our lives, our businesses, where, what we wanted to do, that kind of thing. So we're in. So I had six clients immediately. Wow. Uh, didn't charge enough. I didn't charge, I, I, I charge probably 10% of what I charge now. 
So I wasn't really making a living, but That's I thought, oh my God, right. this is going to be easy. Yeah. Then I, you know, and the, the other piece was that nobody told me that becoming a coach was being an entrepreneur. Mm. This is why I get really angry with the coaching industry and the coaching training schools is they don't tell you that you're an entrepreneur first coach second, Yeah. that you're running a business. It's nice that you help people. It's nice that you're, you know, like, you know, you're, you're insightful and all that stuff, but you're running a freaking business. Yeah. Uh, so it, I ran my finances into the ground because I was loving all the impact I was having and all that, but I didn't know how to run a business. When I figured that out, when someone finally slapped me upside the head and said, dude, you're an entrepreneur, like let's, let's work on that stuff. That's when my finances equaled the impact I had in the world. Uh, and you know, I, now I make, now I make more money than I made when I was in the tech industry. Uh, but it, it took that revelation to actually make that work. Yeah. Well, I asked that because, you know, a lot of times people will say, well, I want to do this, but I'll wait until. And that's kind of what your co your coach is calling you out on. I'll wait until or, or whatever. And, uh, you know, it, it most of the time doesn't happen like that. And, and what I'm hearing in your story is there's a level of commitment. And there's a quote that I love is like, until one is committed, there's hesitancy, and there's a chance to draw back. And, you know, whenever you're committed, you, you, you talked about it, uh, it stuff just happens, right? You, you talked about it just kind of happened there. And uh, I think that's amazing. There's something in your story, actually, a couple of things I wanted to point out, but you mentioned how um, you were doing really good, but you had kind of put wallpaper over the homeless guy. Mm -hmm. And I, I feel like there's probably a lot of people out there that can relate to that in some way or another. So somebody that, um, you know, those are that those kind of invisible barriers that hold us back. And, you know, until we deal with those kind of things, it's going to be an invisible barrier. And like you mentioned, at some point, it's going to come back. Um, and just somebody who's listening, if there's just like one first step, I, any thoughts on that? Any recommendations on how to how to deal with maybe those internal things that we're covering up uh, to move forward? Any any thoughts on that? There's a lot of thoughts on that. One is, you know, in, in my in my rising leader workshop that I work on, where when we talk, I'm talking about peer conflict. Uh, one of the anecdotes that I try to get people to get is you're not in you're not in conflict and you're not in relationship with the people that you think you are. Your five year old is in relationship with their five year old. You may shave or wear makeup and heels or whatever, uh, but you know it's not two adults. You're bringing all that baggage into every interaction you ever had. Now, I hate to break it to you, but we're none. Most of us are not mature, more mature than our traumatized five-year-old, uh, and we bring that to, to what we're doing. But these traumas are wallpapered over and covered over for a reason. They're hard to deal with. It's pain we didn't want to feel. It's, you know, it, it's, it's stuff that we didn't want to deal with. So letting that out is, is sometimes it's better to just keep it bottled up uh, than let it out, except when it, it's, it's going to come out anyway. My, my strong suggestion, my strong uh, advice is to not do it alone. Yeah. Therapy group support, uh, you know, again, why AA and NA work is because, you know, you once you take out the alcohol and drugs, you have feelings <laughs> like, and like, what do you do with those feelings? And then now you have people who have gone through it with you. There's always support. It doesn't have to cost money. Uh, and even with your friends, just don't go through anything alone. Uh, and you, it will, on one hand, it'll be, the pain will be quicker than you expect 
Because when you let that pain up, you think it's just never going to end. Uh, it will it will start to to dissipate a little bit, and it takes longer than you think, right? Because you you know I, I've been at this a long time. I've sat in caves with shaman, right? You know I've had my guts ripped open to let this stuff out. I beat on pillows, and you know I've done all that stuff. And I still have shadow, like those, I still see the remnants of that stuff. So I have to stay conscious all the time. Uh, but yeah, for me, it's never go it alone. Yeah. You know, there's, there's a reason we covered it up. There's a reason we didn't want to deal with it. The second piece is pen and piece of paper. Pen and piece of paper are your friends. Journaling, uh, journaling, 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 right? right, Writing that stuff up, getting it out as best you can. Uh, and the way I journal, is different than the way I don't buy a journal and journal in a journal. So someone can find all the vile stuff I have to say about the world. Right. You know, I have a certain uh, reputation in the world as being Zen master flash, you know, and the, you know, and mature and emotionally intelligent, but in my journal, I'm not right. So I write on paper, uh, journal on paper and then tear it up and throw it out. So nobody ever sees it again. Mm. Uh, and then if there's a piece of wisdom that comes out, I'll put that in the journal. So when someone finds it someday, they go, oh, isn't he wise? <laughs> Doesn't see all that stuff. But, you know, I, don't, I never want to censor myself. You know, I want to be able to say, you know, God, I hate human beings. Oh, my God, they just suck and all this stuff. And then tear it up, throw it out, because, you know, that's just my ego dealing with, you know, my fears. Yeah, man, that's that's powerful. Just letting it out, it sounds like, is, is uh, a powerful thing right there. And another thing in your story, I think, um, is a key as well. You said, I began to love myself. And uh, I think that's an important, really important piece as well. So good stuff. I want to get into some leadership stuff because that's my jam. I like doing some leadership stuff, but I really got to, and there's, there's something else I want to ask in your story there. Um, we do a lot with um, youth and next generation, those kind of things. And it's just something that's, that, that I want to know. I, ha I had a friend, he told me this the other day, he, he had a moral failure and he talked about, this is where I fail but this is where I began to fall. Like back here mm -hmm. is where I began to fall. So when you were 27, you were homeless and living in a truck, but where did you begin to, what, what was that first step? And, and the reason I want to ask that is, um, you know, a lot of people who listen in are parents or they're, you know, make an impact on the next generation. If there's a way that we can lead that next generation, um, better. I, I would love to hear that. So anyway, I'd love to hear where, where maybe that first step was. Uh, I have to think that the, the first step was stealing money out of my mother's wallet. You know, my, my parents were not uh, of means at all. They, you know, my father ran a Burger King. Um, uh, but I stole, you know, I, I would steal money from my mother's wallet to buy drugs. Uh, I steal, my brother was a waiter and he had cash in a cigar box and I'd steal and I'd steal his drugs and stuff like that. So it started when I was like 12 and 13. So the, the trajectory just went uh, downhill immediately. Right. So all I was doing drugs and drinking all through high school. Uh, somehow I got great grades. Uh, people's parents love me, you know, cause uh, you know, I'm a fresh faced little Jewish kid. Uh, you know, nobody would ever think that I was that dastardly and dishonest and, you know, uh, so, but it, it took me slamming into a wall to wake up. You know, I remember my dad who again, didn't even have a high school education. He says, your Mark, Mark, your problem is you have tons of natural talent, natural ability. And he said, and that's going to fail you at some point if you don't create um, habits and discipline and learn something new. 
And I still remember that. Like a guy who did not have a high school education. What a wise thing to say to him. Now he didn't have the parenting ability to, you know, guide me. And, you know, he, they were just scraping by and trying to figure out how to do things. So, you know, so maybe if he was a little more mature and a little more able could have helped me turn the tide. Um, but yeah, that, that was a, that was a brilliant thing that he said. That's where it, I think that's where it all started. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. And that, that is very wise uh, from your dad. That's amazing right there. And um, you know, uh, hearing your story, just honestly, I feel a lot of hope right? Uh, because of where you are. And I mean, that's incredible. So I do want to talk into some leadership uh, stuff. So right now you're working with uh, CEOs, you work with people from around the world who are doing awesome, awesome things. And um, it, one of the, your podcast and one of your topics that you talk about a lot is overwhelm. And uh, can you speak into that a little bit? I know there's a a lot of times, you know, in leadership, we talk about if there are no challenges, hey, there's no need for a leader. And sometimes we can allow those challenges to overwhelm us. So I'd, I'd love to hear kind of your thoughts on how to deal with overwhelm as a leader and uh, and, and go from there. Well, the, first, the first thing to, to understand about overwhelm is uh, let me ask you, where do you see overwhelm in your life? Where does it where does it show up? Uh, well, a lot of times just time, <laughs> uh, busyness busyness, doing this, doing that, going here to there and uh, not, not doing a good job of time maximization. Uh, right. So, so you think it's your time management skills? Uh, for me, sometimes when I let that get out of control or not have a handle on it. Yeah. When, I, when I ask a room of people that question, they always say my to-do list, my employees, my children, right? Uh, overwhelm is all out there. Yeah. And I take a couple minutes to show people that overwhelm is actually between your ears. Mm-hmm. you're not in relationship with your time management. You're not in relationship with your to-do list. You're not even in relationship with the world. You're in relationship with what you think about these things. So overwhelm is an outsized fear of consequences of doing something or not doing something. Mm-hmm. So, you th- so what, what happens is you look at your to-do list, your basically your should have been done yesterday list. <laughs> and you start to, you know, let, let's say you go on vacation. And you come back and on Sunday, you're just freaked out about all that's going to happen on Monday and everything you're going to walk in on Monday. Oh my God, I, like, I just don't know if I can handle Monday. I don't know if I'm the only one who's up on Sunday going, how am I going to deal with that? And you get to Monday and you work through Monday and then by Tuesday, everything's back to normal. Right? You made up all this stuff. So we make up the overwhelm, the fear of these consequences because we didn't do this. We didn't take care of this. You know, uh, so I have a, I have a T-Mobile bill uh, that is four hundred dollars. You know, it should be one hundred and fifty dollars for me and my ex-wife and my kids, right? Uh, and uh, it's and I know my kids were overseas and all the stuff. I'm like, oh my god, I have to deal with that. So I got a little overwhelmed yeah. by my T-Mobile bill and having to call and stay on hold and figure out what these charges are and all this stuff. Now it's four hundred bucks. I could just pay it. And then, you know, at my leisure, just kind of figure out what's going on with my phone so that we're getting those charges, right? Uh, I could set aside time and call them and do those things. It's my fear that it's going to take so much time that it's going to be complicated or that, oh my God, they're going to rip me off for an extra $200. I have choices. I'm not trapped. Uh, the same thing with my taxes. I get overwhelmed every time my... my um, Accountant sends me a, can you send me this document and put it in the, in the folder that we have for you? I'm like, do I even know the password? Do I even have the, like, I don't even know, where am I going to find that document? Right. And I panic 
because I'm ADHD. Like I, I don't, I am not organized. I don't know where I'm going to find that. Uh, so for me, it's the, it's the saber tooth tigers, the fear, the terror, the terror I make out of these things. When you start to realize that you have choices, when you start to realize that most of us are not in danger of being run over by a bus or eaten by a saber tooth tiger, it's, it's all made up fears about things or someone may disappoint. Like, again, my, my personality type is the happy helper. I want people to like me. So I help in order to get liked. So it's life and death for me to be liked. So to disappoint someone is like life and death. It's a saber tooth tiger, right? I feel like I'm going to die if I'm going to disappoint someone. Now, slowing down and realizing, okay, I've built up quite a, quite a bit of uh, goodwill and capital with these people. You know, if someone else disappointed me in this, I would be like, dude, take the day off. It's fine. No problem. Right. And I start to work my way through how I'm making stuff up in my head. Does that make sense? So if overwhelm is 90% how I'm thinking about all the things that have to be done, the consequences, who's going to be mad at me, all those things that are going on. And the antidote is just get conscious and do the next thing. Mm. So, so what I hear you saying is there is, it's the kind of the story that I've got on loop up here and I just need to become aware of it. Like you said, conscious about it. And then I can do something about it once I become aware of it. Right. Because most of us are, most of us are just walking around dealing with the beliefs that we've had our whole entire lives about everything, the conditioning that we have, you know, this happens, I respond this way. And we rarely put a block between stimulus response. Yeah. and get conscious about what's going on. What's, so one of the exercises I do in my workshop is the six questions to ask yourself when you're absolutely in overwhelm. And I joke with them. I said, you know, in the light of day, you're fine. But at two o'clock in the morning, how many of you have been up at two o'clock in the morning, absolutely terrified about payroll or something, an um, irate customer or something like that in the morning? And, you know, a couple of people sheepishly, you know, I'm like, okay, thank you for, you know, 100% of you are lying to me. Uh, because I, I know my constituency. We've all been up at two o'clock in the morning freaking out. I'm going to teach you how to, how to walk yourself off the ledge. So, you know, so my first question to you, so I usually, you know, usually there's someone in the group that's, that's terrified of payroll every, every two weeks, right? And uh, so I'll say, so what, what's, your, what's your problem? What's your challenge? He goes, oh God, every, every two weeks. I said, what's your saber tooth tiger? And he says, payroll. Every two weeks, payroll. I'm like, how are you scaring yourself? And he says, well, I'm scared. Let's see, how am I scaring myself? Uh, I say, if I'm not going to make payroll, I'm going to lose really good employees. If I lose really good employees, my company's going to close. My company's going to close and everybody's going to find out I'm a fraud. And then we're going to be living under a bridge. I'm like, why does everything always end up with us living under a bridge? How many of us have lived under a bridge, right? I've lived under a bridge. I don't know about everybody else. So we go, oh, oh, really? Okay. So we see that that catastrophe. Now in the light of day, most people won't admit to that's what they do at two o'clock in the morning. Uh, you know, like I'm, I've been like, when am I, am I ever going to get another client? How am I going to support myself? Cause I'm unemployable now. That's my belief, right? I am now unemployable. So I have to make this coaching thing work. Uh, so, yeah. so I asked, so I, so I say, okay, how are you scaring yourself? What, what's true? You know, what's true now? What do you know that's true? When was the last time you missed payroll? He goes, well, I've never missed payroll. I'm like, how long have you been in business? 14 years. 14 years and you've never missed payroll. What else is true now? Well, actually we have the sales, we have the money in the bank for payroll. Wow, that's really cool. You know, what else? Is, so we work, we work through that. Great. 
Um, where would you like to place your attention now? Would you like to place your attention on your fears or would you like to place your attention on uh, the fact that you have all those things? Great. And then we go, what do you, now, now we always, we're always creating, we're always, we're always creating in the world. We create with our word, we create with our intentions, we create with our deed. We can create you know, fear and you know, lack of money and all that stuff, or what else? And he says, I wanna create uh, doubling our sales in the next year. Great, now you've given your mind and your body something to work on, so let's create, right? Uh, and then the bonus question is always, what do you have to believe in order to feel the way you felt? What do you have to believe in order the way you feel, to feel the way you felt? And I get blank stares because nobody understands that question until they finally understand. In other words, I have to believe that I'm incompetent and have no business being an entrepreneur in order to feel like I can't make payroll and we're gonna be living under a bridge. Mm -hmm. And then the whole room just kind of goes, whoa. Yeah. So your beliefs about yourself are running you. Now, I, I tell them, I said, just do this three or four times. Take out that worksheet, do it three or four times. And by the way, uh, uh, I'm gonna give your listeners uh, a web with a video of just what I talked about with the worksheet and a bunch of other one, concepts that we're talking about. It'll be um, markjsilverman.com slash principles. And I'll send you the URL uh, for, your, for your listeners so that they can go through this themselves. But if you do it two or three or four times, you get starting to get in the habit of, you know, when you get scared, you get overwhelmed. You're like, oh, what am I making up about this situation? Right? You know, you know it, and it could be like a fight with someone. You know, how many times have you been in a fight with someone that they're not even participating because you just know they think this, Yeah. right? What do you know is true? Well, actually you've been friends for 20 years, you know, like, and you, and you, and you work through it and you get yourself to same. Yeah. That's interesting. The stories we tell ourselves, right? Like you, you talked about when you said the payroll, I can remember when we had our physical therapy clinic, uh, that, that was a thought I always had is like, oh my goodness, I got to have this payroll, right? And uh, we never missed, right? It, we never missed. So you laid out um, a, a perfect uh, kind of, um, I've gone blank on the word I wanted to use, but uh, perfect way to kind of stop those thoughts, stop that process and how to uh Pattern interrupt. It's a, it, it's a, it's basically self coaching. Yeah, like that's all I do as a coach. Is I'm like, let's let's get to reality here because you're making all kinds of shit up that just isn't true, absolutely. and then let's get into action. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I, I would encourage you guys. He, uh, Mark just he's going to give us the uh, URL, but I'm going to put it in our show notes and highly encourage you to go back and look at that, but also rewind to that because he laid out a perfect process of how to self coach right there as well. So uh, Mark, you, you've got a, a new project that you're working on that you call it the Rising Leader Handbook. So when I hear that, when I hear that, I hear kind of what your dad said to you as somebody who's got talent and potential, uh, but you're a little rough around the edges, right? That's, that's what I hear whenever I hear Rising Leader Handbook. So what's your definition of that? And kind of tell us a little bit about that. Well, first of all, you, 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 you just, you can make me tear up because I never thought of that. And that just really warms my heart. So thank you so much. He's, he's been gone a while now and I, you know, humble man. Uh, and he did infuse this. This is cool. Uh, so the rising, so it's true. So most, I have a waiting list for clients. Uh, and the, when, when people call me, they know when to call me. It's like, Mark, I've got this really talented person. They're amazing, but they're a bull in a china closet. You got to teach them some matters. So I get all the pot problem children, right? Yeah. And I, I'm really good at confronting people who are just difficult. 
uh, and helping them, you know, again, learn how to play as a team. Uh, what happened was I realized that that's what my whole practice is. That's everything that I do. Uh, so I've, so I've started to codify it and I'm writing the book, the rising leader handbook. And I have a workshop that I take through people through 12 weeks of how do you lead up? How do you lead? Uh, if you're, if you're on the leadership team and this isn't for first time managers, this is more for people who are kind of on the leadership team in the C-suite. Uh, but they're young, you know, they're young, they rise fast, their leadership skills. My friend, Alyssa Cohen, uh, who wrote from startup to grown up, uh, says, you know, leadership is an unnatural act. It needs to be learned. There are very few natural leaders, right? So natural born leaders. So, you know, these skills haven't been caught up as they've risen through the organization. So how do you lead your CEO? How do you lead your manager who's a visionary, who is an idea machine, right? All those things. How do you lead there? How do you become a trusted advisor? Then, you know, leading your team is, there's so many books on leading your team on how to have good leadership skills. And now you have the authority also to lead them. Uh, but how do you lead with your peers? How do you lead within a team? How many, how many um, uh, workshops have you gone to where you're now in a team, you're all supposed to be leaders and you're supposed to learn to have co-opetition because you want to shine, but you want the team to lead. You want the organization to win, but you want to get promoted. So how do you lead within that team? And then the last piece is how do you lead yourself? Because this is all about self-leadership. It's all about what's going on inside. I joke with my clients all the time because I teach a lot of consciousness. I, you know, I, I work with a lot of New York finance guys who's you know, legs are tapping and they're just, you know, like just, you know, nervous wrecks all the time. And I, I teach them consciousness and presence and meditation and that kind of thing. And they always roll their eyes at me. But I said, look, I can play whack-a-mole with your emotions and your skill sets and, and your behaviors, or we can get you conscious. I can send you in a meeting and we can teach you the right things to say, or you can be present in the meeting and know what to say. Right? There's two different, which one would you like? So we do, I always do a combination of the two. Learn how to be present, learn how to be conscious. And then we work on some skills on, you know, because I'm, I'm often like, like, no, don't say that that way. <laughs> like, let's, let's, let's try that again. So that's, that's what I'm doing with the rising, with the, with the rising leader. It's just, it's, it seems to be where I, 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 I really enjoy playing. I enjoy, I, I, I tell a lot of the, a lot of them are young men and women, mostly young men. Uh, and I tell them I'm the ghost of Christmas future. Right. Like I, I, you know, my, I used to be the midlife coach. I, I work with a lot of, a lot of guys in their fifties who are divorced, have health issues, uh, you know, have, have all kinds of challenges. Uh, I'm the ghost of Christmas future. So anybody who works with me, uh, like you are going to be the kind of man, your husband, uh, the kind of, the kind of man, your wife, you know, your spouse needs you to be right. Uh, you're going to be the kind of father uh, your children need you to be. And you're going to be the kind of man who can handle this kind of wealth and success. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to save you half your income. So you're going to go on a date, you know, with your spouse every week, <laughs> you know, because I want you to be in love in 40 when, when you're 40 and 50 and have all the means and all that stuff. And it's been really, it's been really a fun ride to head off some of the tragedy that I, I've had and other, I've seen other people have. Wow. That's, that's powerful. And it, something you said right there about the every week uh, date night, that is something that my wife and I've been trying to commit to. We've done that. And that, that is a huge thing. It's not easy um, mm. to, to make that happen, but it, it's a very powerful thing. And um, anybody listening that, you know, you're married, I would encourage you like Marcus saying to make that commitment. Uh, it, it's a very powerful thing. So 
Mark, uh, I, I want to ask you, um, I know we're getting close to time right here, and uh, you talk about the uh, the Rising Leader Handbook. You do the, the workshops. Typically, the workshops, are you doing that within companies or is that open to the public? Uh, so far, uh, not open to the public. Okay. Uh, although if, you, if, they go to, if they go to that URL uh, that I sent you, you know, uh, com slash principles, if they, they'll get most of the workshop in the little five minute videos that I put on there of the exercises I do. I usually do it for CEO roundtables and uh, for leadership teams. Uh, I'm working on, once I, once I bring this through a couple of companies, I'm going to do a video program of it so that you know it can be for the masses because I, I I think it, there's just some s- simple attitude adjustments that that shift uh, how you are in uh, in a team. Yeah, yeah, powerful. That's good stuff. Um, one last question I got for you, Mark, is whenever you were in that season, you're reading all the books, right? I remember being in that the season, reading all the books, going to courses, seminars, and webinars. Was there one book that really stood out to you that uh, you would recommend? So what's the, what's the topic? Is it spirituality? Is it leadership? Is it self-help? How about leadership? Leadership. Uh, oh God, I know exactly what book it is. And now I can't remember. Oh my God. That's, <laughs> that's terrible. Where is that book? I just put it, I just put it up on the, on the, on the thing. The one leadership book. Uh, I, I, I would say let's, let's go with the five dysfunctions of a team. Patrick okay. Lencioni. Okay. That's a good, well, you know what? Uh, we're, most everybody who listens to this are book junkies too. So what, what were the other books? So spirituality, personal growth. Leadership. Okay. So, so I, I would go, uh, Steve Chandler was that coach that fired me. Uh, Steve Chandler is one of the best writers, self-help writers I've ever read. And he now has a new book, the best of Steve Chandler. Cause I can't figure, I can never figure out which book to give people. He now has it all in one book, the best of Steve Chandler life changing book. Uh, most coaches in the world will use uh, some form of what he's put in the world. Uh, so that's, that's a great book. Uh, for perspective, for spirituality, uh, I, I would say uh, Awareness by Anthony DeMello. Uh, that, that's the spirituality book. And uh, Loving What Is by Byron Katie is a great place to start with perspective. Figuring out it's always me, it's not them. That's a great way to, that's a great place to start. So those are the books I like. All right. Good stuff. Well, I, I'll be honest with you. I don't know if I've ever even heard of Steve Chandler. So I, I'm, I'm slacking on my coaching, man. What is up with that? Right. Steve, Steve, yes. Well, Steve, Steve, he's kind of the godfather of coaching okay. uh, and uh, his books, you know, he's, you know, you know, his distinctions like victim, victim owner distinction. Are you a victim of circumstance or are you owner of your experience? Mm-hmm. Just that shift. He coined the phrase "busyness equals laziness." Yeah. Uh, th- those those kinds of things are just mind-blowingly simple. Uh, one of the things I teach in my course is agreements versus expectations. How many times have you just had expectations that people will do things in a certain manner when expectations are just you know un unspoken complaints in the making? Wherever you have those expectations, create strong agreements. These are the kind of simple, powerful little shifts that he puts in every book. And he put it all in one book. I'm so impressed. Wow. That's good stuff. I'm glad you shared that. So um, I lied. I got one last question, Mark. Sorry about that. (laughs) If somebody's listening, if there's one key takeaway from this whole conversation that you'd like to leave with them, what's one thing you would love for somebody to take away from our conversation today? I have the same message always. You're free. You've always been free. You have choices. Uh, the only thing in your way is your fear uh, uh, and your conditioning. And if you can finally understand 
that you that you get to live this life like you you were put here you get to live this life and it's your choices uh that's what i want people to get i didn't know that for the first 50 years of my life I'm now 60 so you know uh, now now you know past decade has been great 60 is amazing because now i really don't give a shit uh but <laughs> yeah yeah you've always been free that's what i want everybody to know and man and uh, i i 100% agree with you and i hope as you're listening that that he said mark said that I am free. That that is you, right? That is you as well. Not not just Mark, not just Corey, not just Bob or Mary who's listening, but you as well. And that's a powerful thing when you understand that. And that is awesome. Loved our conversation, Mark. Uh, you've added a ton, a ton of value. One more time for somebody who wants to reach out to you, co- uh, connect with you. I know you created the um, the the website link and you're going to share that. I'll put it in the show notes, but can you say it one more time for our listeners? Sure. My website is uh, mark the letter J silverman.com mark J silverman.com uh, just to go for anything that that's, that's me. Uh, there's, you can actually get a free copy of my book. Only tens uh, confront your to-do list, transform your life. You can get a free copy uh, on that resource page that I'm going to send you and you just slash principles for your, for your, for your people. Awesome. MarkJSilverman.com slash principles. So good stuff. Make sure you connect with Mark. He's got some awesome stuff. And Mark, thank you for your time today. Again, added a ton of value. Thank you guys for taking a listen. I know, I know you got tons of things that you can take from today and make sure you subscribe uh, to stay up to date with any episodes of or the new releases of Principles with Corey and Logan. If, if you got anything that you would love for us to share with Mark, feel free to comment. We would make sure he gets that or you can reach out him to directly there. So appreciate you guys. I hope you have an awesome, awesome day and God bless.